You can turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, if you will. We're, we began this series a couple weeks ago, honest question, last week, honest questions that deserve honest answers. And last week I gave you an introduction to this, and I gave you a lot of statistics about where we are in America, not just as Americans, as our, with our view of the Bible and the church and faith and things like that, but also where we are as the church. And when I talk about church, um, take a little side note to make my point here. Erin is finishing up her last two classes before she gets her degree. She'll uh, finish, she'll grad, she'll finish here, I think, in just a week and a half, and her, her uh, bachelor's degree will be done. And she's doing it in Christian ministries. And some of the courses she takes uh, obviously are courses on the Bible and things like that. And she's taking a course on missions right now. And I almost ha I, I ha I, I'm helping her out uh, reading some of the course material, explaining some of that was my ma that was my major in college. And uh, long story short, many times in the world today, when it comes to church, we're, we lump everybody that calls themselves a Christian together. Listen, I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm not trying to be a, a hater, which is the, the, the vernacular today. But just because you, people call themselves a Christian doesn't mean they are. To be a follower of Jesus Christ, to be a true believer in Jesus Christ, doesn't just mean that you have to go to church or, or be a member of a church. It means that there has been a time in your life where you realize that you were a sinner and that you couldn't pay the price for your own sins. We sang about this this morning. And that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for your sin. And it didn't stop there because that's wonderful and that's great. And that took care of the sin problem for the world but not for you in particular. Because there has to come a time in your life where you realize that you need that forgiveness of your sins and you accept and receive the gift of eternal life by asking Jesus for it. So that's the difference. And many call us evangelicals. Uh, whether you want to embrace that term or not uh, is entirely up to you. I know that when you call yourself an evangelical in some places in this country, you better either pucker or duck, right? because some people are gonna love you and some people are gonna absolutely hate you. Uh, so you embrace whatever terminology you want to about what your faith is, it doesn't really matter. As long as you know Jesus Christ is your personal savior and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've accepted him into your heart. That brings us to what we're talking about in this series, honest questions that deserve honest answers. Our text we find in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, if you stand with me as we read God's word this morning. <clears throat> 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17 reads as follows, who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated. But in your hearts regard, regard Christ the Lord as holy ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, 
than for doing evil. You may be seated. As I said last week, when it comes to this passage of Scripture, there's a whole lot to unpack, and there's a whole lot that is said there, and we covered much of that last week. I would just remind you of this. When it comes to following Christ and being a true believer, an example of what he has called us to be, we are called to be witnesses. We are called to be ambassadors for the kingdom of God, telling people about the truth of Jesus Christ, not only telling them, but living that as well. And we see that all wrapped up in this passage. You need to be ready. Now, there's a, a very intimidating word in theology and in Christianity, and it's, called, it's the word apologetics. And people think that it's, it, you need a, an advanced degree in college to understand apologetics, to be an apologist. When all it really is is what exactly is said in here. Someone who can give an answer for their faith. Someone who can explain their faith to others. Much damage is done by people who can't do that but yet claim Jesus Christ. Much, uh, much credibility is lost when people who are followers of Christ simply say, well, this is what my pastor says or this is what my church believes. This, our faith is not a church faith, although we together as a church form a body of Christ which holds to the same faith. Our, church, our faith is a personal faith because Jesus Christ is a personal God. He's a personal Savior. Therefore, it's important for us to be able to explain to others what it is we believe. And by the way, there's no shame in not being able to explain some of the deeper theological points of the Bible. Some of those things that people get wrapped up in are just rabbit holes and rabbit trails that really don't need to be gone down at that point. The thing we must remember is the greatest need that humanity has is not to know that we're right, not to know what our statement of faith as our church is. What they need to know is that Jesus Christ died for them on the cross and that that is their greatest need as a human being. This series is, is about questions that many in the world outside of, Christ, of, of the church have about life, the present, the future, and the Bible. The series has been prompted not only by those questions, but by the urgency of the need for answers. Listen, I made no mistake, and I haven't made, I haven't made any apology over this last year or so, by saying that I believe we're in the end times. I believe with all my heart, if you were to sit down and have a conversation with me and you were to put me on a lie detector or whatever it is you wanted to do, uh, there would be no equivocation for the fact that I believe we're living in the end times. You can agree with me or disagree with me, with me. That's entirely up to you. I have my reasons and I'm sharing them with you throughout this series. One of the additional parts of this series will be pointing out the fulfilling of prophecy that leads to the return of Jesus Christ for the church, which begins the tribulation period of seven years, leading to the second coming of Christ in the thousand-year kingdom reign of Jesus on earth. There will be events that lead up to those times, actions and developments that prepare society to be accepting to those policies and actions and developments and activities that, wait for it, you ready? That the Antichrist ushers in. 
he used that term that's so out there today, the Antichrist. We've had presidents that people say are the Antichrist. People said Barack Obama was the, was the Antichrist. How many of you are old enough to remember Ronald Reagan as president, remember Ronald Reagan being called the Antichrist? That was a fun one. People said Hitler was the Antichrist. He was an evil man, but he wasn't the Antichrist. But there's going to be developments that lead up. There are going to be patterns and processes and activities and actions that take place in society that lead the world to the point of where they would accept one man to rule the entire world. It won't just happen. Understand that. It's been likened to a frog in a, in a pot of water, and they, whether you, you know, whether you believe it happens or not, they say that if you put a, a frog in a pot of water, a cold water, and then heat it up gradually, the frog will stay there and boil to death in the water. That's kind of what happens with what will be happening with the world and the Antichrist. It's not just going to happen. The world is going to be led to that point. The world is going to be made ready for that point. I pointed out last week several prophetic fulfillments that we've already seen that have really been magnified over this last, was it 18 months now that we've had uh, COVID with us? The increase of knowledge, which was prophesied for the end times. Knowledge, as I told you last week, knowledge, it's estimated that knowledge is doubling every 12 hours. Now, every 12 hours, twice a day, knowledge doubles. The increase of violence, and if you don't see that our name, listen, we, I, this is just so crazy. We fight and people get violent over the need for peace. Now, if that's not an upside down world, I don't know what is. We fight over the need for peace. We get, not just fight, not just argue, we get violent over the need for peace. And the biggest sign to me that I, and I shared this with you last week, is the Christian church, the true believers, I'm talking true followers of Jesus Christ, including many pastors in many churches, leaders of large, large groups, large denominations, large uh, movements are falling away from the true faith of the word of God. Many of them saying, I don't really care what the Bible says. This is what's best. Well, I'll be kind. That's not right. <laughs> That's just not right. Whether it's popular or not, whether it's fashionable or not, we need to stand for the truth. We need to live the truth. And living as a Christian, standing on the word of God, the truth of the word of God, not just about what we believe, not just about how we practice our faith, but about morality and ethics. That may not be popular, but remember what Jesus told us, in the world you will have trouble. In fact, the world will hate you because it hated me. We as Christians in the church, we seem perplexed that the world doesn't want to follow us and the world doesn't like what we stand for. Understand what we believe in many, in many instances is diametrically opposed to what they're doing in society. It's vitally important that we understand what we believe. If not, we will be part of that falling away that Jesus Christ talked about. Today I want to explain 
a topic that's been in the news for a while and actually quite a bit lately. Many Christians are tossing this around like it's Tootsie Rolls and they're looking for this here and there and everywhere and claiming that this is, this is it and this is that and, and uh, condemning others, condemning others in the church for right now. Come on, folks. Listen, let me just preface it with this. And this has been my consistent stand throughout all of this. First of all, COVID is real, okay? I just had a friend I went to college with who's a good Christian man. Uh, his father-in-law just passed away yesterday from COVID-19, okay? It's real, all right? There's a virus out there called COVID-19. It's highly transmissible. 99% of the people survive it, but it can kill you. We need to be taking precautions. We need to be careful. To deny that is just silliness. All right, let's be honest. It's just silliness. By the way, one of the other, another prophecy of the end times is diseases, new diseases. You see, when we deny these things as Christians, we're denying the truth of the word of God. We're saying, no, 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 no. This is just a hoax. It's not a hoax. Secondly, I honestly don't care whether you get a vaccine or not. Okay, can I just share that with you? I don't really care. That's entirely up to you. I'm vaccinated. Why? I believe in, in the science of, vaccination, of vaccines and vaccinations. You may not. I was in the army. I got shot up for everything. So I believe in it, all right? You may not. Fine, wonderful. That's your choice. But can we not call each other killers for not getting it? Can we not tell each other and call each other our brothers and sisters in Christ uncaring people for not getting it? And can we not call each other blind followers and sheep if we take the vaccine? Folks, that's ridiculous. Taking a vaccine for a virus that is out there is not taking what we're going to be talking about today, the mark of the beast. How many of you have heard that in the news or, or you read that online lately? People are talking about all the Christians. Oh, you're going to take the mark of the beast. I think one of the silliest things, and maybe you, maybe you thought this, I'm sorry if this hurts your feelings. The government was going to put a tracker in the vaccine. <laughs> really? Come on. Come on, man. I'm serious. All right. We're not, we're not even going to go down that road, but do you think about it? Okay. Think about it. Anyway, <clears throat> what I want to do this morning leading up to what we're going to be talking about is, it, is it give a brief explanation of what the mark of the beast is. It is a real thing. It's going to be a real thing. Why it has received so much attention lately is because of changes in our society that are trending toward the fulfillment of the prophecy found in several scriptures in the book of the Revelation. Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 through 18 say, and makes it, speaking of the beast who is the false prophet and the antichrist, uh, the false prophet is the false prophet of the antichrist. And it makes everyone small and great, rich and poor, free and slave to receive a mark on his right hand or in his forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, the beast's name or the number of its name. 
This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, because it is the number of a person. Its number is 666. Okay? Listen, you may think that this is all craziness. You may think that people are talking about this and this is just an urban, urban legend. It's actually in the word of God. But when we go after, back up, we have to properly understand scripture and prophecy before we go off half cocked saying this is it and this is that and that's the mark of the beast. That's, that's also a sign of the end times where the Bible says they're going to say that's truth and that's truth when it's not. So be very careful. Revelation 14, 9 through 11 says, And another, a third angel, followed them and spoke with a loud voice. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is poured out, uh, poured full strength in the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and the sight of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or anyone who receives the mark of its name. Now that's ominous. That is, that is ominous and scary. But understand, the mark of the beast doesn't come until after the rapture of the church. Why is that so important? Because if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, what we teach here and believe here, and what I believe the Bible is very clear on, is that there is a rapture of the church or a taking out, a catching away of the church that will usher in a seven-year period called the tribulation in which the Antichrist will rise. During the seven-year tribulation period, the mark of the beast will come to prominence. Okay? Not now. Not before. The mark of the beast doesn't exist right now. You're not taking it. Okay? Why am I spending time on this on a Sunday morning? Because many Christians are being fooled and drawn away and turned bitter and angry and fighting over this very topic. Yet the mark of the beast does not come until the tribulation period. You're not getting it right now. It's not possible. Revelation 16, 2, the first went and poured out uh, his bowl on the earth and, severe, uh, and severely painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshiped his image. Now, there will be people during that seven-year tribulation period after the church is taken out that come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. In fact, of Israel, 144,000 witnesses will come to know Christ. And we're not going to get into all of that now. I'm just giving you kind of a, a brief overview. Not taking the mark of the beast is for believers of the tribulation period, not for us today. We're not going to be here for that. In fact, even though the Antichrist may be alive right now and may be rising to prominence, we, will, we probably most, most likely will not know who he is because he won't be revealed until the church, those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, has been removed. Okay? How are these verses applicable today and why are we spending time talking about this? The great increase of knowledge has opened up many avenues of artificial intelligence that has given us many new forms of communication and access to information. We have many people watching us today on Facebook and YouTube. Okay? That wasn't possible just several years ago. In our lifetime, that wasn't possible. Sweden is set to go to a fully cashless society 
by 2023. Completely cashless society, Sweden. Several other countries, including Canada, Australia, and the United Kingdom, are quickly heading towards becoming cashless societies. That's fact. They are going that way. They want it that way. That's the way they want it to be. That's the way those nations want it to be. In fact, Sweden is all for it. As of June of last summer, over 50,000 people in the world had been implanted with a microchip that contains emergency information, replaces key cards for gyms and railway travel and other systems. In fact, some of these implants that are being given can unlock your car and unlock your house. Anything, if you've gone to a hotel where they have a key card, those implants are being used to replace those kind of things. The plan for the future of, of chip implants is revealing. A study uh, from Villanova University asked, what if we did not need to show a credit card? Or at work, what if we could eliminate germ-covered keys and identity badges? Radio frequency identif identification chips, RFID chips, can be embedded under a human skin and permit them to unlock doors without keys or key cards, and it could eventually replace the need to carry identity, credit, and debit cards or cash. Because of COVID-19, means of doing business in a touchless way have become very, very popular, right? All of us, if we've done any kind of business over the last 18 months, we've done things that have, be, that have become touchless. So we see the need arising. We see the ready acceptance of this, right? The ready acceptance of all of this. In 2016, 54% of all U.S. adults said they see chip implants as the future, and it stands to reason that over the last five years, including the last year and a half, that number has gone up. It is such a realistic possibility that several states have passed laws that say employers cannot mandate the implanting of chips because many employers are wanting to mandate that their employees take a chip in order to work at that place. And now the great debate is on for COVID-19 vaccine passes. Everybody's heard about the COVID-19 vaccine passes. Why is that such a big deal for prophecy? Listen, once again, I don't think you, if you take the, if you use one of these passes, good on you. If that's what you wanna do, good for you. I use a debit card. How many of you don't, how many of you have a lot of time, times where you don't have any cash in your wallet or your pocket? Where, listen, it's just easier to carry a debit card, right? Truly is. Anybody use Apple Pay on your phone? Yeah, absolutely. You see, I'm not going to say we're being conditioned because that sounds just childish. But society is going that way to where we are accepting of these things. And now New York City is set to put in motion a law that says that anyone who isn't vaccinated and can prove it will not be able to participate in society. Not will not be able to um, do this or that, will not be able to participate in society. In fact, Mayor Bill de Blasio of New York City, these are facts, I checked them out, I looked them up and I verified them in a couple different sources. So I didn't get this off conspiracy.com, okay? This, most of this comes from the New York Post, the New York Times, what we would consider, whether you agree with them or not, um, credible news sources. Mayor Bill de Blasio said this, it is time for people to see vac vaccinations as literally necessary to live a good, full, and healthy life. 
He said, hey, if you're unvaccinated, if you're unlisted to this, this is an ominous statement for the leader of the largest city in America. If you're unvaccinated, unfortunately, you will not be able to participate in many things. You see how we are being, how, how society is moving towards a one world, a, a one world system, a, a pass of some kind, an identity mark of some kind that would allow you, as the Bible says, to buy and sell and be part of society. My contention is this, it doesn't just happen, we are led down that path. And we're getting there slowly but surely. This is not about arguing about the vaccine or whether the mandate is right or not. Listen, that's whether, whether it's right or not, whether it's legal or not, that's for the Supreme Court to decide, not me. Smarter people than me know how to figure this stuff out according to the law. Quite honestly, I don't particularly care which side you're on. You may be an anti-vaxxer. You may be a person who does carry cash and would never take a debit card. You may never participate in these kind of things. That's up to you, man. I don't care. I really don't care. I don't pay your bills. I don't put gas in your car. It's all up to you how you do these things. All I'm trying to show you is this. Prophecy is being fulfilled at a rapid rate. And we are seeing our world spiral to a conclusion. Now, for those of us who have Jesus Christ as our Savior, we will not be around for those seven years of horrible tribulation, which are going to be pretty bad. Worst times ever seen in the history of the world. But it is important that we understand and be able to read the signs of the times. Why? Jesus said, when you see these things happen, look up, for your redemption draws nigh. In other words, Jesus told us we need to be paying attention. We need to be paying attention to what's going on. We need to be paying attention to what's happening. Listen, once again, don't really care how you feel about it. I believe, I, I believe the climate is changing. Whether you want to call it climate change, whether you want to call it a, a circular time of weather patterns, I don't care. I really don't. We are seeing things happen in the weather systems and the climate patterns that have never happened before. And the key is all of this is happening at the same time. Jesus said, when you see these signs, when you see these signs at the same time, that's when you know time is spiraling to an end. The mark of the beast will not happen for those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior in our lifetimes. We'll be gone. But we can see the leading up to it going on in our society. Is it wrong to take a vaccine? Is it wrong to take a New York City pass? No. Seriously, no. We're told to obey the law of the land. And people say, oh, that's, he's so anti-God. Really? Listen, check out the times when the Jews, when, when the Jew, when, when the Jews uh, saw Jesus, when he walked among them, and when the Bible was written. You know who was in power then? Rome. Israel wasn't a free country. Israel was in bondage. So don't try to twist and turn the teachings of the word of God to say that we are guaranteed religious freedom. We're, guaranteed, we're, we're told we have religious freedom through the Constitution, but as we've seen throughout history, men can take over, men, human beings can tear that Constitution up, throw it in the trash, and take over. 
Whoever has the most guns wins. That's just the way it is. All I'm trying to say is this. We need to be awake. We need to be aware. We need to be seeing the signs of the times. That is why we're in this series, Honest Questions That Deserve Honest Answers. Because those questions abound. Those questions are coming at us every day. People are asking us that, those questions about our faith. What does it mean? How do you feel about it? When people find out I pastor a church that would qualify as an evangelical church, woo, boy, do I get questions. Boy, <laughs> have you ever had hate mail that isn't email or come in the mail, but is delivered directly to you from the person's mouth? Yeah, I get that a lot. Wow. How can, you, how can you believe that? How can you stand with those people? How you, can you call yourself one of those? Okay. <laughs> you know what? What I don't need to do is fight back. Because when you fight back, what you're doing is creating a wedge and putting a wall between you and them. One of the things that I find... I've, I've met so many young people in their 20s and 30s recently uh, from churches that I've known and churches I, I was involved with. And they use the, the term hypocrisy and they use the term um, closed-minded when they talk about the leadership of their church because they said, all I had was some questions and they told me to get out of the church when I asked those questions. Listen, I never believe one person's account of something because there's always at least two sides to every story. But I do know this, it has been my experience that many times Christians don't want to talk about things they don't understand. And when Christians are challenged on their faith and they don't have an answer, many times they get very defensive. That's what we're trying to prevent in this series. That's what I'm trying to prevent in this series. The need to be defensive. Because we don't need to answer, just like our text in 1 Peter 3 said, we don't need to answer in such, now listen to this, we don't need to answer in such a way that they get, we give them more ammunition to come back at us with. We need to give them honest questions, honest answers from their honest questions. This leads us to where we stopped last week. And I ended last week by sharing with you the first question we're going to be looking at. It's actually one that is asked in many different ways, takes many different forms, and has many interchangeable words. But when it's all boiled down and brought together, it's just simply this. If God is good, why? If God is good, why? Maybe you've heard it this way. If God is love, why does he allow suffering? Maybe you've heard, if God is all-powerful, why doesn't he just fix everything? I've heard that one a lot. Anybody heard that question a lot lately? I've heard that a lot lately. If God is so powerful, if God is in control of everything, why doesn't he just fix everything? And maybe that stumps you. It doesn't need to. Because there's an answer for it in Scripture. If God is perfect, why did he allow sin? And if God is good... Why does evil exist? Can I tell you this? You'll never get the answer, the, the core of the answer about evil and suffering in this lifetime. God doesn't answer that completely. He doesn't tell us why he decided to allow all of this to happen. We can speculate and we can postulate 
And we can extrapolate throughout Scripture. But some answers are only known to God. And quite honestly, God doesn't owe you an explanation. That's why it's called faith. Believing something you can't see. We're going to be covering the question, this question in the next couple of weeks. But there's some principles that we need to understand as we lead up to this question and answer this question as we move forward. The first principle that we must understand is this, and this is heavily debated, and maybe you've heard it presented in different ways. I apologize. I need to sit down. My leg is going numb. The first principle is this. God is sovereign. He is in control, and he either causes something or allows something. Okay? God is sovereign. He is in control. He either causes, he is the, either the causation of something or he is allowing something. Either way, he has a purpose for what he is doing, for what he does, and many times that purpose is beyond our understanding. Colossians 1.16 says, For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, all things, all things have been created through him and for him. Proverbs 16.4 goes even farther where Solomon wrote, The Lord has prepared everything for his purpose. The Lord has prepared everything for his purpose, even the wicked for the, for the day of disaster. Now, you say, well, I don't quite get that. Is there a biblical example of God allowing something and even being in control of something while still allowing something to happen? And yes, there is. How many of you have ever read this book of Job? Book of Job. You remember at the beginning of the book of Job, right? The beginning of the book of Job. Bible says there was a day when all the, the, the sons of God, all the angels of God came before God. And Satan, or Lucifer, as was his angelic name, came before God and, and God said, have you considered my servant Job? He's an upright man. He's a good man. He follows me. He turns away from evil. Even in the midst of a society that supports and promotes evil living, Job is a man of purity, of morality, and ethics. Have you seen him? Have you considered him Satan? And Satan looked at God, as the Bible tells us, and said, does Job not worship you for a reason? You have covered him. You have placed a hedge of protection around him. But you remove that hedge of protection and you'll see Job curse you to your face. What was God's response? Okay. I'll remove that hedge of protection, but you can't touch Job or his body. Just the things around him. What happened? Great storm came, 
took away, his, his crops were destroyed, a house collapsed, his children all died, all his flocks were stolen by the Sabaeans, and he lost everything except his life. Satan went back to God, and, he, and, and God said, you see, Job still serves me. Even though you've brought great calamity on him, God didn't cause it, but God allowed it. Does that make sense? God wasn't the cause, but God allowed it to happen. Satan once again said, of course not, because you told me I couldn't touch his body. But you allow me to inflict pain on him personally, physically, and you watch Job curse you to your face. So God said, okay, you go ahead and afflict Job's body with pain, just don't kill him. Once again, God allowed something, but God was in control and said, you, can't, you can go this far, but no farther. What happened? Job had boils all over his body. In fact, they were so painful that the Bible says Job was sitting in the, a field, uh, basically a dump, where they had put all the broken pots. And he had taken parts of a clay pot and he was digging out the boils from his skin because they were so painful. Yet, Job never cursed God. He never turned against God. What was God's purpose in that? God's ultimate purpose is known to him. But I think one of the, one of the amazing purposes was God showing Satan how much his do devoted followers can take and still follow him. And also to show Job how much he could take and how much he could handle and still follow him. You see, God won't allow something to come into your life that he doesn't give you the strength to handle. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there is no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful and will with the temptation provide a way of escape that you may be able to to bear it. God allowed suffering in Job's life. God allowed disaster in Job's life as an example to us as followers of his that no matter what comes in our life, no matter what comes down our way, he is still in control. He is still sovereign. And unless he says it's our time to go, it is not our time to go. And God is still in control. How is that applicable to us today? Christian, the world can get as crazy as it wants. But as my friend Melvin Edwards tells me all the time, God is still in control. God is still in charge. God is sovereign. That's all that word means. God is in control. Nothing is going to happen that God does not allow to happen. And if God doesn't want tragedy to come into your life, guess what? God's not going to allow tragedy to come into your life. But if God does allow trouble and struggles to come into your life, Know this, it's being allowed for a purpose. It's being allowed for a reason. And you may not understand it. You may not grasp it. You may not be able to wrap your mind around it. I will use an example, and I hope the family doesn't mind. But many people are wondering why God would take someone like Vicki from our church. I'm not going to say everything about her now because that's for later. What a wonderful lady she was, man. What an amazing woman. I don't know if there's ever been a time in the history of our church that, since I've been here 
But we've had one person come in in such a short amount of time and affect so many people in such a positive way. She's an amazing woman. Well, if she was so good for us, why did God decide to take her away from us? Perhaps it's so that you could learn the lesson from her life and live what she lived in front of you. In a practical sense, we must accept God's sovereignty over the universe by focusing on his plan and purpose, by fulfilling our calling and our mission, rather than getting distracted by what is going on around us in the world. It might be scary. It might be disheartening. Listen, it's no fun seeing what's going on in the world. It is no fun losing friends. It is no fun seeing Christians turn away. There is a part of me that is cheering as prophecy is fulfilled, but another part of me that is not happy because in the fulfillment of prophecy, it means that I'm losing friends. It means that Christians are turning away from God. It means that some people will never accept Jesus Christ because they're buying into the lie that is being woven for them. It may be maddening to see these things happen in our world and people follow and fall in line so easily, but we must always remember that God is in control. Christian, understand that. God is in control. He has a purpose. He has a plan. Second thing, while that is true, that doesn't mean that God decides everything for us and that we're just robots going through the motions. Because God's greatest gift to humanity after salvation, in my estimation, is free will. Free will. But free will has consequences. I believe the greatest gift God gave us after his son, Jesus Christ, as the savior of the world, is the fact that he gave us free will. Now, there are those who will tell you <laughs> that God picks and chooses who will go to heaven. That God, in his sovereignty has decided who will go to heaven and who will go to hell. That fly, and, and I know there's the argument, and we're not going to get into this, that free will doesn't negate that, but it does. Free will, the idea, the concept of free will, and the fact of free will totally destroys the argument that God has picked and chosen who will go to heaven. Because God has given you free will. God has given you the ability to decide. God has given you the choice to make for him or against him. Mark 8, 34 says, Calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's a choice. That's a choice you must make. To deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Revelation 3.20. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, an active word of choice, an active action of choice, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. We get to choose our own path. We get to choose our path, but those choices affect our lives. The choices of others affect our lives. Think about that. How many of you have been affected, your lives have been affected adverse, adverse, adversely 
because of the choices that someone else made. You didn't make that choice, they did. Some of them are choices made by your parents when you were just a child. They might have affected you for good, but they might have affected you for bad. So free will has consequences. We need to understand that. Many times free will has consequences that we can't control. But God, as I said, will never allow anything to come into your lives that you can't deal with, that you can't handle, if you choose to follow his path. Understand that. You don't get to appropriate the blessings and power of God in your life if you're living a life of sin. God's promise of blessing, God's promise of power, God's promise of overcoming temptation and sin is built on the back of following him and choosing his path for your life. The third principle is this. Evil exists and will continue to exist until God's final judgment on evil and eradicates it forever. Evil exists. That is actually a debated point today. People debate whether evil actually exists, whether Satan exists. Uh, who was it? I forget who said Satan's greatest deception was causing mankind to believe that he doesn't exist. Of course he exists. If we're Christians, we know he exists. We believe he exists. We believe he was a created angel of God, the most powerful created being of God. Yet Satan's great pride was his downfall, and he chose to rebel against God. And in fact, the Bible says he led war against God in heaven by taking one-third of the angels with him, and God threw him down from heaven and condemned him. Didn't eradicate him, condemned him but he allowed him to continue to exist. These are the questions that we wonder why, but we won't have an answer to. If God would have just destroyed Satan at that moment and all those who followed him, would, would things be different? Don't know, that's up to God to know. But I do know this, evil exists and will continue to exist. And that evil will continue to fight against God's plan. Now. When we think of evil, we think of this horned creature with a tail and a pitchfork, and it's obvious, right? We always think of evil as being something that's obvious to see. But do you remember the verse that says Satan can transform himself into an angel of light, an angel of deception? That's why I'm talking about some of these prophetic fulfillments, because while these things are good, listen, I'm not going to give up my computer. I like my computer. It saves me a whole lot of work, saves me a whole lot of struggle with carrying a bunch of books everywhere. I like my phone. I like my iPhone. I get to watch the Dodgers every night on my phone if I choose to. I'm not giving up my phone. But that doesn't mean that those things will not ultimately be used for evil purposes during the tribulation period. Did you know that it's illegal to turn off the tracking device on your phone? It's illegal to shut off the GPS system in your phone. Did you know that? Pretty amazing, isn't it? 
You see, and, and that has great purposes. If you break down or you get into an accident somewhere out in the middle of the country, they're going to be able to track you, right? Great purpose. But it also means that that could be used for nefarious purposes by those who desire evil. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13, finally be strengthened by the Lord, by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take a stand. That's what we're talking about. Not fighting, not, not being a jerk about things. Being able and ready to give an answer a competent, understanding, well-thought-out, well-reasoned, biblical answer to the questions people are asking. Because evil exists, and we need to be able to explain why we stand against it. And the fourth principle is this. No matter what you or anyone else thinks, feels, or cares about it, that's the way it is, and those are the facts and the details of life with which we have to deal. You can close your eyes. You can stick your head in the sand. You can live alone in your house and have everything delivered to you by Peapod or by Amazon and never interact with anybody else in the world. But those, and that won't change it. Those are the facts. Those are the facts of life. Those are the facts of the world. And that's what we have to deal with. And we as followers of Christ have to find a way to live within that system. We have to find a way to live within this present world while still honoring Jesus Christ, while still <laughs> standing for him, while still being a witness for him, while still sharing our faith and living our faith and being able to answer people when they ask us questions about why we live our faith. You can't just say, well, vaccines are evil. Okay, why? Why? Come on, man. Seriously, seriously, can we please get beyond this childishness and this foolishness? Can we start digging into the word of God and seeing the truth for what it is? I mentioned Job earlier. And to wrap all of this up tonight, today, Job chapter 38 Job has had his conversations. His friends have come. Friends, and that, I, think, I think that's the, Job's friends, I think, is where we got the phrase, if, with friends like that, who needs enemies? <laughs> because Job's friends were not very friendly, and they weren't very comforting. But Job made some statements in his arguments that questioned God, that said, I'd love to stand before God and make my argument. I'd love to, but God won't show himself. <laughs> oh boy. Job chapter 38, God shows up. Job chapter 38, beginning at verse one. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. He said, who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Oh boy. I think we have an issue here. I think we can take just from that one passage there 
an understanding that if we believe that we are going to speak for God, we better know what we're talking about. We better not have an ignorant understanding. We better not be ignorant in our understanding of the ways and the will of God. Now listen to what he says. Get ready to answer me like a man when I question you. You will inform me. Where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? What supports its foundations? Or who laid its cornerstones while the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst from the womb, when I made the clouds its, clouds its garment and total darkness its blanket, when I determined its boundaries and put its bars and doors in place, when I declared you may come this far but no further, your proud waves stop here. And it goes on and on and on. Job saying, God saying to Job, Job, you don't have a clue. Job, don't try to figure out things that you don't understand. Job, don't misrepresent me with information that is off base, with information from an ignorant mind. Job, if you are going to represent me to a world that needs me, then make sure you know what you're talking about. And I will say this to you, Christian, today, to New Life and to any of us watch, anybody watching. Before you attempt to speak for God, before you attempt to make God's argument for him, make sure you understand what the word of God says. Make sure you understand what the principles and the teachings of the word of God are. Don't simply parrot what you hear on a podcast. Don't simply parrot what you read. Make sure you study for yourself and know and understand for yourself what it says and what it means. Otherwise, you are simply someone who is bandying about in an argument with an ignorant perspective of the truth. As a follower of Christ, it is vitally important that we accept the fact that God has a plan and that you are a part of that plan. That he has an individual plan for your life if you will choose to follow it. But no matter what, whether you choose to follow God's plan or not, understand this, folks, whether you choose to follow God's plan or not, whether you choose to be faithful to his word or whether you choose to be one that falls away, God's plan will prevail because God is sovereign, because God is in control. No matter what you do, no matter how you, much you fight, no matter how many podcasts you make, no matter how many conspiracy theories you come up with, no matter how, no matter how much political uh, rhetoric you engage in, nothing is going to change the fact that God's plan is going to be fulfilled. The only choice in the matter is whether you accept your free will to follow God and be on board with his plan or whether you choose to fall away and be deceived and walk away 
from God's plan. But make no mistake, God has a plan. You have free will. The choice is up to you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for the clear, the clear teaching of your word. God, and I, I'll tell you, I've got to be honest. I didn't think, I didn't really know what I was expecting as a kid when I heard about the end times and when so many pastors and teachers would lay it out and I'd listen. But this isn't what I was, this isn't what I was expecting. But God, it's so clear. Father, what's also so clear is so many people right now are searching for something. They're searching for answers. They're searching for truth. Truth is under attack, God. That's one of the tactics to undermine and destroy truth. God, I pray that you will burden our hearts with an understanding and a desire to learn about you, to learn about your word, to learn what truth is according to your word so that we will be prepared, so that we will be ready with an answer, so that we can give honest answers to honest questions. God, I pray that you'll bless us this day. Pray for those who are away from us, those who are on vacation. Keep them safe and bring them back to our church. God, would you watch over us? Would you bless us all? Dismiss us with that blessing. In your name we pray. Amen.